the Journey Hometown Journal. Depression, anxiety, suicide, all of it really spiked during um, COVID. Now it's lowering a little bit, but it's still much higher than it was in previous generations. Welcome to the Hometown Journal. I'm Mark Edwards. On this edition, we're going to be discussing depression with Dr. Kenyon Knapp, author of the book, Healthy Depression. Well, Kenyon, first of all, thank you so much for being on the Hometown Journal. Well, thanks so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about your background and how that led you to a study of depression and then ultimately uh, writing the book, Healthy Depression. Oh, sure. I'm glad to. Well, I've been a Christian for, since I was five years old, <laughs> and I went out a little educational background. I went to Taylor University in Indiana, got a BA in psychology. Then I went to Georgia State in Atlanta, got a master's in counseling. Then concurrently got a master's in Christian counseling from Richmond Graduate University in Atlanta. Then I went to Old Miss or University of Mississippi and got my PhD in counselor education. And uh, I've been a counseling professor for the last 25 years. I've worked at seven different colleges. And now for the last five and a half years, I've been dean for the School of Behavioral Sciences here at Liberty University. Is depression, is that a topic that you have focused on throughout your career? Honestly, I've, um, I've worked with lots of different issues, a lot of crisis counseling work in the last hmm. 15 years or so. I've been all over the world when, when there's natural disasters and things like that. I wanted to tackle a big topic that, that affects a lot of people. And, yeah. of course, depression's the number one psychological malady worldwide. And so I wanted to sort of take my stance on it and go for it. It seems like we hear more reporting of depression, discussion about depression than we used to. Is that the case today? Um, it, it is, generally speaking. I mean, uh we really spiked with depression in America and worldwide during COVID, mm -hmm. um, especially the later parts of COVID, because isolation really affects people. You know, you know, Genesis chapter two says it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> and of course, what COVID did is it isolated a lot of us. And so depression, anxiety, suicide, all of it really spiked during um, COVID. Now it's lowering a little bit but it's still much higher than it was in previous generations. So when, when some people say there's a mental health crisis per se going on uh, in America, it, it's true. I mean, statistically speaking. And so, yeah, it, 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 is, it is pretty bad right now when you look at the rates. Is society more open to talking about mental health issues, depression included, than we used to be? It seems like, you know, we, we've been open to talk about heart disease or cancer, but depression, yeah. mental health issues, we don't really want to, to discuss that or maybe kind of keep that secret. True. Yeah. Yeah. There is a stigma mm -hmm. about mental health with certain groups. What I tend to see is it tends to be a generational thing. I mean, a lot of younger people these days just talk about, oh, my therapist said such and such, and they just put it all over social media and everywhere else. Whereas the older generation tends to be a little more you know, quiet about it. And, of course, counselors try to respect people's confidentiality. Sure. Overall, so. are you encouraged, though, by the fact that people are more open and willing to discuss it today? I am. I really am. People are willing to get help more. And that's not to say that I believe that, you know, I haven't drunk the Kool-Aid of counseling sure. <laughs> to think that counseling solves all our problems. It, it, it certainly doesn't, but it helps. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good for a lot of people these days to be willing to seek help. You know, a lot of the older generation was more stoic. You know, they just mm -hmm. sort of 
suck it up and deal with it and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, pretend that you're fine when you're dying on the inside. And so, uh, and we could say that some of the younger generation have gone to the opposite extreme and people are too fragile, but, um, you know, they're definitely more open to it today. Well, let's talk about depression as it is defined, diagnosed from a a clinical standpoint. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it is the most commonly diagnosed uh, malady per se. Anxiety is right up there with it um, because they really go hand in hand. We call call that comorbid when they're both there at the same time. Um, worldwide, um, w- there's about 322 million people disabled by uh, depression every year. That's according to the World Health Organization. Of course, it's connected with suicidality as well. And worldwide, and it's hard to get good stats on this, by the way, sure. because a lot of times people commit suicide, then they call it something else publicly because of stigma. But um, with the research we have, there's about 800,000 suicides every year uh, worldwide. And so it, it really is very prevalent, and um, it's very unfortunate because it's a highly treatable condition, but you know, most of the time it goes untreated. And so people you know, either s- just suffer unnecessarily or they sometimes kill themselves. And that's, of course, what all counselors try to prevent and you know, try to bring hope and encouragement to people. How does someone... I guess maybe in the early stages or the beginning of depression, how do they determine, okay, is this depression or is this a blue mood? It's a severity issue, really, and how long it goes on and how debilitating it is. Um, I mean, people with clinical depression, you know, they start doing things like sleeping very long hours. They they lose hope. They, they think nothing matters anymore. They tend to... Uh, turn to mood-altering behaviors like such as substance abuse and things like that to change the way they feel. And uh, that's really unfortunate because when you deal with depression and really lots of psychological things, there's often one thing masking another. And so they'll come in with substance abuse issues, but it, the real crux of the issue might be depression. And, uh, but you know, w- one thing is more publicly visible, you know, the substance abuse. And so, uh, yeah, it, it can be very debilitating for a lot of people. Is it something that can be passed down and is passed down from generations? There's a lot of debate about that. Certainly we're all fallen, and part of us being fallen as you know, human beings is that you know, some depression is really just biological. I mean, people have lots of meaning and purpose in their lives. You know, they've got a really good relationship with the Lord, and, um, but they still feel depressed. I mean, I think of David in the Bible who said, why so yeah. downcast, oh, my soul. I mean, he said that numerous, numerous times throughout the Psalms. And, you know, you just have to go, you know, good grief. He, he must have really been going through bouts of depression. And that's what it sounds like. And so that's what I try to get at in my book, Healthy Depression, is the idea that um, having a right relationship with the Lord and having meaning and purpose in life is a huge protective factor but it doesn't make Christians immune from depression. You know, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver here. <laughs> you know, um, but but I've just seen over and over again with the thousands of clients I've worked with over the years that those who do have a close relationship with the Lord and have thought through meaning and purpose questions in life, they cope a lot better. And so that's really the goal of my book is to help people to learn how to cope better with depression. And of course, there's treatments in there too. If, if we can completely eliminate it, let's do it. <laughs> but, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are going through hard times in life. And, um, 
you know, maybe they have certain illnesses or things like that that really are a weight on them, and it predisposes people towards depression. And so you know, I, I accept the fact that a lot of things in this life are going to be hard, and we can't solve everything. And, and when we can't, how do we then best cope? And, and that's what I try to deal with in the book. That is Dr. Kenyon Knapp, author of the book, Healthy Depression. The book is available on Amazon as well as other major distributors. We'll have more in a minute. Looking for that sweet album art for some of your favorite songs? Want to know what music played recently? Or wanting to support the journey and help us share the hope of Christ? Maybe you just want to take the journey with you wherever you go. There's a simple way to do all of that and more. Download the My Journey FM app today wherever you get your apps. Now back to more of the Journey Hometown Journal. Mark Edwards back with you along with our guest, Dr. Kenyon Knapp. Dr. Knapp is dean of the School of Behavioral Sciences at Liberty University and author of the book, Healthy Depression. You mentioned earlier isolation. What are some of the other causes of, of depression? Well, we call it, you know, there's genetic or biological causes of depression, which, of course, you know, the serotonin and other neurochemicals can be out of balance. And that, that can cause depression, but they can also be a, a consequence of, of behaviors that we do. It, it's, it's funny, in my classes at the college, I try to talk to my students about how we tend to think about depression and the biological aspect of it in a dichotomous way, that you're either depressed because of you know, biology or you know, because of something difficult in your life. And it's really not that simple. And what I try to explain to students is the, the divide between the biological and the behavioral is really a little bit of a blurry line. And what I mean for specifically is like up in Alaska, for example, people hear about seasonal affective disorder. Mm-hmm. If you're in a dark environment and you just you know, stay that way, it, you know, because of the environment, it, it leads to depression. It's a la- your body can't process vitamin D, for example, mm-hmm. biologically, and that leads to depression. But we can, also, we can also be our own pharmacist by our own behavior. And what I mean by that is um, right now my oldest son is up in uh, northern New York. He's hiking the Adirondack Mountains. Mm-hmm. And so I used to do this when I was younger. And um, when you hike a long time, and I used to hike from like sun up till sundown, just clomping along pretty fast. Your body produces endorphins, and those endorphins are just as good as Prozac. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, I felt great when I was hiking along, and so I was being my own pharmacist by my own behavior. And so, you know, so biology determines behavior somewhat, but behavior also determines biology. And th- that's what I try to explain to people. So, and that's not to say that we rule out one thing or the other. I mean, th- there's definitely a use sometimes for, um, you know, psychotropic medications such as Prozac, but we wouldn't be giving holistic uh, treatment to our clients if we didn't explain to them that, hey, exercise is actually one of the best treatments for depression. <laughs> and, of course, they don't feel like exercising. They just want to sure. go in their little cubby hole and, <laughs> and crawl up in a hole somewhere, you know. But it helps them. And, and those who follow through with it really find that it does help them. I saw an article the other day, actually, and they were talking about running to mm-hmm. that very point, mm-hmm. that people that run on a regular basis are less susceptible to depression or are able to manage the depression better. Absolutely. It's totally true. There's lots of research on it. 
And so, you know, any good psychiatrist will prescribe exercise. I, I remember when I was in grad school back in the 90s, I worked for a psychiatrist to help pay my way through school. And uh, the, the better of the psychiatrists that I work with, they would, you know, maybe prescribe Prozac or whatever the medication was. And then on the prescription form, they would also write out for the clients a certain amount of exercise per week because then you hit it from both directions with the, the medicine and the behavior. And that's, that's the most effective. Yeah. At what age does someone, on average, begin to see symptoms of depression? Does it happen in the teen years or preteen years or, or are there cases of even younger well, it, it depends if, if the depression is more biologically based or if it's more situational because, you know, situations can cause people to fall into depression, you know, like child abuse or different things like that. So in that case, if it's situational, you know, uh, related to abuse or, or natural disasters or things like that, that could be any age. When it's biological, we tend to see a spike in it during the teenage years. It, it, it tends to persist for a lot of people who, who develop it in the teenage years. And then, not to dodge your question, <laughs> but to give a more accurate answer, <laughs> there's also a lot of other risk factors that go along with it. So, for example, um, you know, if there's people in the family who also struggle with depression, if there's people in the family that have substance abuse issues, if there's people in the family that have committed suicide or had suicide attempts, if there's an abuse history, there's, there's so many other connected factors and and you know it's birds of a feather fly together with lots of unhealthy psychological things and so um when other factors are involved in the person's life it predisposes them to have more long-term depression and so when we're working with clients we try to help them deal with all those things as best you can you know you lead a horse to water as they say (laughs) and um and you try to try to help with those other factors as well yeah well, let's talk about the book. Sure. Uh, the book is titled Healthy Depression. Why that title? Well, it's because the idea that, um, you know, I've, I've been a licensed professional counselor for over 25 years. And uh, a lot of times when people come into counselors or psychologists, you know, any kind of therapist, they walk in and they have this idea that, oh, depression is bad. It's, it's terrible and we just need to fix it. And a lot of times the counselor reinforces that. They go, yeah, you know, we just need to help you feel better. And that's true if the depression is, is the, the true illness. But the problem is a lot of times depression is the symptom. It's not the illness. And we have to always remember that symptoms are good and illness is bad. And that applies to everything in the medical field. Because, you know, you come in, any one of us goes into a doctor the doctor says, thank God this person has symptoms because we use symptoms to determine the cause, what the actual illness is. So if I have a fever, the doctor thinks, oh, maybe he's got the flu or whatever. And we use those symptoms to narrow down what the actual problem is. And so unfortunately in today's mental health world, a lot of times we just treat the symptom rather than the actual issue. And so, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, in God's economy, pain is never wasted. I mean, God will you know, take our pain if we give it to him and he'll teach us something from it and he'll redeem the pain. And so it's, it's not that I'm sadistic or anything like that. I don't want my clients to suffer, but at the same time, I want them to have the long-term cure, not the short-term fix. And uh, the short-term fix a lot of times is a pill. And so um, I challenge my clients to, you know, if they need a pill to cope for now, you know, fine. 
But I, I try to challenge my clients to look at, you know, what are some of the underlying issues that could be really causing the depression? And is depression the illness or is it the symptom? That, that's where it really takes wisdom to figure it out. And I just pray to God every day, you know, God help me figure out what the crux of the issue is, you know, not just treat the symptom. And uh, my clients would be happy, though, if you just treated the symptoms. You know, that, that, that's, where, that's the difference between a good therapist and, a, and, a, and a, a great therapist is, you know, really treating what the real crux of the issue is. Dr. Kenya Knapp is our guest today. We will continue our conversation about mental health and Dr. Knapp's new book, Healthy Depression. Staying connected these days is easier than ever. Connect with people you don't know. And staying connected with the journey is just a tap away. Get the most out of technology. The My Journey FM app exists for your listening enjoyment, no matter where you are. I'm in traffic right now. As well as giving you the ability to support this ministry and check out what songs have recently played. Man, I'm talking about a big guy, big guy. Get the app at your app store. Life, hope, music, the journey. Now back to more of the Journey Hometown Journal. Mark Edwards back with you along with our guest, Dr. Kenyon Knapp. Dr. Knapp is a professor, a licensed professional counselor, and author of the book, Healthy Depression. Walk us through the book then, how you address the issue that's Mm -hmm. causing the depression. What's the approach in the book that you take? Sure. Well, it's sort of a, uh, maybe I haven't used this analogy before, but <laughs> it's sort of a fishing expedition. You, you, you walk in with people and, and you start asking all different questions, sort of trying to fish around and see, you know, what is the, the, the true crux of the issue. And I'll just say, based on my experience over the years, many times it's a worldview because ideas have consequences. And, and that's one of the points I make in the book is there, there's logical ramifications for every worldview. And so I get a lot of clients coming in who are nihilistic in their worldview, the idea that you know life is meaningless and we're just random beings. Or I get very postmodern clients, especially among the younger generation, the idea that you know there is no meaning and purpose in life. We just create our own meaning and purpose. And those ideas, for example, they lead to depression because there's just there's no real substance to those ideas. There, it's you know standing in midair, philosophically. And so, um, what I do with my clients, and I do here in the book, if they're open to it, you know, because you always try to let the clients sort of maintain their autonomy, and you don't impose stuff. But um, I ask them really basic meaning of life questions, questions about origin, meaning, morality, destiny, worth, and identity. And where do they find their answers about those things? And then, and that's what I have in the book. The book is really like a self-help style book where they, there's fill-in slots here in in the book where they answer the questions. And then after they fill it in, I ask them, how sufficient is that for you? Like, like what level of meaning and purpose does that provide for you? Like how, how well does that help you cope? And um, it's been very helpful <laughs> to a lot of my clients. And, and like I said, it, it's not me telling them, you believe this, you believe that, or, you know, cause people love to accuse Christian counselors of imposing their ideas and clients. But I say to them, sort of like Dr. Phil used to say on TV, how's that working for you? Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he was famous for that phrase. I, I, that's what I do with my clients as I say, let's talk about your worldview. How's that working for you? And, um, and oftentimes they'll give you really honest answers. Are they, are the clients, when they start that process, mm-hmm. are they surprised? 
sometimes by they, their by their own answers. They are. They, they, they really are because, you know, most people don't think about philosophy stuff. Most people just sort of, you know, act like that's just irrelevant nonsense. And if it's you say the word philosophy to a lot of people and they roll their eyes and they go, there's some old guy with a beard somewhere talking about this junk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we all have a philosophy and it all affects each one of us. And so I really bring that up and sort of put their own worldview right in their face and say, how's that working for you? And um, Chuck Colson actually calls this pre-evangelism hmm. in, in some of his books. And um, one of his books that I love is called How Now Shall We Live? And I gave that to all my groomsmen at my wedding. <laughs> and um, it, pre-evangelism is where you really sort of prep a person for hearing the gospel. And people have to realize that their own worldview is insufficient before they're willing to look at anything else. So that's sort of what I do with my clients is I really, you know, get them to sort of see what is your worldview. Let's really codify it and write it down and you really understand where you really stand. And then how how sufficient is that for you? How protective is that for you? And um, I and I have a whole chapter in the book where I share my own worldview and, and how my Christian worldview is a protective factor for me. I mean, I still go through all kinds of junk like everybody else. <laughs> I don't want to pretend that, you know, life is a bed of roses per se. But, um, but when the hard times come, it really helps me cope. And it's funny, it's helped me cope all around the world. I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of crisis work. And I remember uh, when I was in Haiti, for example, when the, uh, in 2005, after the big earthquake, and I was walking around Port-au-Prince where there was 300,000 people that died. And I'd see arms and legs sticking out from crushed buildings. And, and I worked with lots of people there in Haiti and other places around the world, India, Uganda, other countries, Israel. I was in Israel about six years ago doing crisis and trauma training. And when you're meeting with people who are suffering and all that and who f- just feel like life is hopeless and there's some kind of intractable conflicts like, like what there is in Israel right now, I, um, I'm able to maintain hope hmm. uh, because, you know, I know that God is always going to use the situations that I'm involved with. You know, God's made me his regent, his ambassador to this world to try to bring love and hope and healing. And I'm able to do that a lot of the times, N- not perfectly because I'm, you know, fallen like everybody else. But over and over again, I'm able to comfort people. And I love that. Like anytime I feel like God is using me, I get all fired up. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so, so my worldview helps me to cope. It helps me to go in really dark, dark situations. Uh, I mean, like when I was in India just a few years ago, I was working with a whole bunch of human sex trafficking victims. And they were telling me this, this horrible, horrible, depraved stuff that they went through. And um, I'm able to hear the worst of everything because I know that, you know, God has a greater purpose and God has me there at that moment for that purpose to love on those people and for them to experience the love of God through me to give them hope that not everyone in the world is trying to molest them and abuse them. There are some people out there trying to feed them, clothe them, give them jobs, give them dignity, give them love. And, um, and when I can do that, like I said, I get all excited and happy. <laughs> and, 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 that's, and that's what God does with, through every one of us. Everyone listening you know, has, has that experience where, where if you just say to God, hey, God, you know, how can you use me today? How can I love somebody? And then you go do it. 
man, that night you sleep good. (laughs) You just feel like God used you, and that's the greatest satisfaction any of us can have. Does each chapter have that section of where they, they, the person reading it can can answer those questions and mm-hmm. truthfully learn more about about themselves. They they do they do. There's there's actually four chapters in the book. Um, I've, I've got a little chart where you sort of self-diagnose which chapter you fit in, and th- there's there's two questions. First off, are you depressed? Yes or no. And then, do you have meaning and purpose in your life? Yes or no. So people say yes, I have meaning and purpose in my life, or no, I don't after answering these questions, and then am I depressed or not? And then they look at, and there's a chapter for each one of those categories, and then the questions of, you know, so, so where does that leave me, per se? Like, um, like if you're depressed and you have meaning and purpose in your life, that, that's one category. Well, there's a lot of probably Christians listening to me right now who maybe have great meaning and purpose in their life, and they're depressed. Fine. I mean, you're just like King David in the Bible. (laughs) You're just like a number of other biblical characters. You're just like D.L. Moody. And I give some of those examples in the book. And it's to say that, you know, um, we take comfort knowing that other people have gone through the same things we have. There's still treatments that we get into. I've got a whole chapter on evidence-based treatments. But each chapter is designed for people in each of those categories. And then it tries to give them specific help for where they're at at this point in life. Yeah. Very good. If yeah. you were summarizing the book and you were telling somebody about it, what would be the the main, the one thing that you really want people to understand what the book is about? Sure. Um, I would say the main point is that ideas have consequences, and but we don't always think about what our ideas are. So I help people identify their worldview help them really realize what are the ramifications of my worldview? How much does that help me? How much of it that is a protective factor in my life and how much of that predisposes me towards depression? And then do I like that? Do I want to stick with that worldview? Yeah. Uh, if not, here's another alternative. And I share my perspective as a Christian and, um, and then they can sort of take it or leave it. <laughs> and, um, Fortunately, in my life, I've had a number of clients take it. Um, I've had clients realize that, um, you know, their worldview is not really helpful and they don't really know that they believe it or don't know what they believe. And uh, I've had a a number of clients over the years pray to receive Christ with me during session. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm sitting there trying to evangelize during session. I, I very much delineate counseling from evangelism. But when clients realize there's a lack of meaning and purpose in their lives and they want meaning and purpose, which we get through Jesus, I'm not going to get in the way from them doing that. And it's the greatest joy of my life to pray with clients and for clients. Well, on this edition of the Hometown Journal, we have been discussing mental health, specifically depression, with Dr. Kenyon Knapp, author of the book, Healthy Depression. The book is available on Amazon and through other distributors. I'm Mark Edwards. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Journey Hometown Journal. If you're a part of an organization or know of one in the communities we serve and would like to be considered as a guest, please make your request at myjourneyfm.com, email office at myjourneyfm.com, or call 800-424-9594. The Hometown Journal is a presentation of The Journey.